Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable Price point comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Interesting scoop in the logic the other week that kind of got overlooked. It was by their reporter, Catherine McIntyre. McIntyre went digging through submissions filed by 2,000 interested parties to a federal government expert panel. And she found in this haystack submissions from big legacy news companies, the CBC, Quebecor, Le Devoir, Magazines Canada, and the Globe and Mail. So what does old media want from government this time? Well, the CBC, along with the Globe and Mail, asked that digital media services, both foreign and domestic, be put under the jurisdiction of the Broadcasting Act, which would mean that, among a lot of other things, companies like Google and Facebook and Netflix would all have to kick back big chunks of their Canadian revenue into Canadian content. And that's weird to me. Like, Beyond it being weird to force Google to, I don't know, fund the next season of Amazing Race Canada, why would the Globe and Mail care if something like that happens? But maybe they have a different idea about what could constitute Canadian content. For example, the Globe and Mail suggested to the government that algorithms should prioritize news stories that are flagged as important by Canadian news producers. So this is a very high level of proposed regulation for industries that have thus far been 
left more or less untouched by government. And it's not all just some pipe dream of the legacy media. The current heritage minister, Pablo Rodriguez, has basically promised that the government is about to get very fucking serious about getting these companies in line. No more free rides, he told the star. This is all a whole new thing, but it's also kind of an old thing. The Broadcasting Act goes back to 1936. It has been amended and adapted over the decades, but the basic concepts of this act formed the marching orders for how we have been making culture in this country for much longer than I've been alive. And now, big players are quietly teaming up and appealing to a very willing government to extend the whole scheme to the entire internet. So right now could be the foundational moment for everything that comes next with Canadian videos and shows and music and news, also podcasts, I suppose. But because all of this groundwork is being negotiated in back rooms, because it is wonky and complicated and technical, and frankly, because I don't understand the Broadcasting Act as well as I should, we are not really having the public conversation about this stuff that it all deserves, given how public the results are going to be. Well, my guest today does understand it all, both as an academic and as a media producer. Emilia Zborowska has a PhD in communications. She is Associate Director of the Transmedia Zone at Ryerson University, and she is the CEO and Executive Producer at the production house King Squared Media. And she happens to think that Google and Facebook should be kicking in money to make Canadian content. I do not. But I asked her to join me in our Toronto studio, not to debate me, but to inform me. You'll hear how well that goes in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is also brought to you by Kristen Yee, Peter Fingler, Annette Prigoda, Alexander Way, Brendan Thompson, Annalise Weiler, Mike Lang, and James Higgins. Hi, my name's Jim. I'm from Gibsons, BC. Do love the network and everything that's coming out of it so far. The level of analysis and criticism that is provided by Jesse Brown and his team and on the other shows as well is unparalleled. It's something that there is not nearly enough of in this country and in the West as a whole. And I think that's a real problem. I think that no figure of authority should go unchallenged and that includes our major media outlets cbc i'm looking at you and lastly well anytime that jen gerson decides to show up on the canada land show itself and show jesse brown what's up well count me as a happy guy because sorry jesse you're owing to and well i mean i'm sure you're learning something this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Back to basics, initial purpose, why do we have the Broadcasting Act? So back in the day, before we had a Broadcasting Act and we were just doing radio, there was a big concern that the Americans would rule in terms of content. So we have a Broadcasting Act because it was made to protect Canadian cultural identity. So there's always been this connection or this hypothesis that our identity is rooted in cultural products and that we need to safeguard that through broadcasting and create a broadcasting system that's Canadian-owned and protected. So it came from like a protectionist stance, and that's kind of been the way the system has been governed for a very long time. I kind of understand that, especially in terms Mm -hmm. of a country like being small and next to a huge, huge neighbor and not having a linguistic distinction if you're not in French Canada. Mm -hmm. The idea being if we don't force people to make Canadian stuff, then we won't have Canadian stuff. Yes. Okay. It's about forcing people to make Canadian stuff because of market failures or so-called market failures, right? We have a small audience, much smaller than the United States, which means that when you create content, there's fewer people to amortize that content against, right? Your audience is just naturally smaller. So the way the systems worked is that's been a disincentive for our Canadian broadcasters, for example, as you know, to create content for Canadian audiences because it's just more expensive. So what they'd rather do is rent content from the States, license it. It's already produced. They don't have to spend money on original content development. They get the marketing push from the Americans. And that's kind of been our model. There's been no Canadian content. Like we're not originators of content. We have a very strong tradition of renting content from the States because of this financial disincentive like you talked about. Seems to me that that's half of the picture. And it's a big half. I mean, I feel it for sure. When I talk to American podcasters, Mm -hmm. the economy of how many people do I need to make a podcast or what's going to cost to make a podcast. And then on the other end, how many people might listen to it? It really is like add a zero and you'll get the American population at a zero, and that's what they can expect in terms of their audience size and, and the revenue. So I'm trying to make a politics show. They're trying to make a politics mm-hmm. show. The total possible financial consequence of their show, like they can have a 10 times success. And it seems to kind of work out that way when, when, when I get a sense of what their economics are like. So mm-hmm. definitely the limitation of if you're only making stuff for a potential audience of Canadians, it's only a tenth of as, as attractive as it is as a business proposition. But that's not 
the full picture because the other half of it is that our neighbor, I mean, also because of their size, makes stuff that we really, really want. It's not like if you can somehow get the Canadian to make the stuff and the American make the stuff, then the Canadian is equally interested in both things. It seems like we are, you know, for reasons like their stuff is higher budget and their stuff is kind of leading the cultural conversation. And some, some people would argue their stuff is higher quality. Canadians just seem to prefer that content. But do they prefer that content because it is higher quality, because there's higher production values? So to create drama, right, that's the biggest market failure, as they always say in the industry, is to create scripted content, dramatic, it costs millions of dollars per episode. That's not what we're spending here. We're spending millions of dollars per episode, but we're seeing in the States, like, what is a an episode of Game of Thrones cost? Hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. right? So there's an imbalance there in terms of what And this was even a concern way back when, when we were developing this broadcasting policy to apply to radio. Higher production valued radio shows even were attracting Canadian listeners because they sounded better. They just were better. There was more money going into them. So now we're in this situation where this legacy broadcasting policy still very much exists. And it's it's created the Canadian system. But on the other hand, there's been so many negative externalities that have emerged from that system like, I know you, you have a problem with a lack of innovation in the Canadian system. It's all about institutions here, right? That kind of institutional complacency that's happened. Sure. That's one of the negative externalities from the regulatory model that we have, but definitely wasn't intended to be that way, right? So what would it mean then for these new proposals mm -hmm. to be accepted? These proposals where, you know, the Globe and Mail and, and others are saying all digital media services should be put under the jurisdiction of the Broadcasting Act. From my perspective, in theory, would it be bad for Google and Netflix to contribute to Canadian content in some way? Contribute some money? I don't think so. But if that same money went to the same mechanisms that we have today, which are still controlled largely by institutions, broadcasters, rather than individual creators and individual producers, that's a problem. So we're going to have money but we're going to start seeing the exact same problems we saw before in the old system because it's just a carryover. Like it's we're giving money to institutions and not people. And I know there's a big drive for that to change. Like people are very motivated, even in the funding bodies, to allow more freedom and provide more funding to individuals, individual creators rather than institutions. But the mechanisms are still not there. It's still very much last century. Hold up. That's one problem. One problem is, hey, I got no problem with Facebook kicking in or Google. They got a lot of money. If they want to kick in some money to Canadian content production, most people are okay with that. But to be under the Broadcasting Act, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, because mm -hmm. I might be. Go for it. My understanding of what it means to be under the Broadcasting Act is like same rules apply. We were afraid that if we just let Americans broadcast to us, it would be just American content. And then if you apply that to Google, if we only have American search here then we're going to be overwhelmed by American search. We have to have a Canadian content set aside. Like, I, I kind of get how you would apply that to Netflix because that's most analogous mm -hmm. to a previous broadcaster. So not only would they hypothetically have to kick in money to Canadian content production, but there'd have to be a Canadian box on Netflix, which there already is, but now they'd have to do it. How do you apply that to a social network like Facebook? Or Amazon Prime that loses money on its media side, yeah. but makes money through their delivery shit. I don't understand how you, like, what is Canadian search? What is a 33% Canadian search set? I understand when I listen to Q107 that I'm yeah. only listening to a Northern Pike song because they have to play that. Mm -hmm. what, is a, what is a Canadian search? All right. So here's the thing. You can't just plunk down the old rules onto this new system. It's not going to work. But that is that what they're saying we no. should do? Okay. No, no, no. They're not saying that. They're outwardly, at least, saying 
that we have to be more nuanced and more creative in our solutions. So you honestly, they're not saying just take the old broadcasting rules and apply it to the new media world. That's not going to work. Isn't that literally what it means to put them under the Broadcasting Act? No. The Broadcasting Act is a legislation, right? Then that legislation is interpreted by the CRTC in certain ways. They create certain rules based on that larger framework, that like goal-setting framework, right? So you can interpret the act in many, many, many different ways. So they're thinking about how do you prioritize Canadian content in a global world? So they're talking algorithms, yada, yada. But are you familiar with what happened during um, Let's Talk TV in the 2014 public broadcasting review or no? I, I remember when Bell got into a pissing match with the CRTC chair. and. But do you remember what happened with Netflix? Tell me what happened. Okay, so this is what happened with Netflix. This is crazy. So Netflix appeared at the hearings. The CRTC is like, listen, Netflix, we need to know certain information. You need to tell us audience data. We want to know about like, you know, how much Canadian content are people watching on Netflix? We need to know these numbers. They don't share that shit with they anyone. They don't share that shit with anyone. So at the hearing, they were like being very polite and they're like, oh, we're going to go back and see yada yada. CRTC gave them homework because that's what they frequently do, undertakings, right? They gave them this homework and they were like, okay, by this deadline, you have to send us this shit or else. Or else means nothing because actually the CRTC has almost no capacity to punish. Well, they, they very explicitly don't regulate the internet. Well, they think they do. So they think that they've been regulating the internet since 1999. They think that what they've done is exempted that since 1999 under the digital media exemption order. That's their view of the situation. We've had control. We just made an exe- we just didn't yes. exert that control. Yes, exactly. Aren't you lucky? That's what they're that's exactly been their frame. And now we might change our mind. Now we might change our mind. Be careful. Okay, so then they said to them, you've got to give us this homework. We need this data. Okay. So Netflix, what did they do? They refused to give them the data. So what did the CRTC do? They erased Netflix's participation in the Let's Talk TV hearings from the record. They literally tore it up. So when you go online now and you look for the transcripts, it's all gone because it was this really, really embarrassing moment for the Canadian regulator. I'm sure Netflix is so scared. Oh, I know. But see, that's the thing going back to the algorithms thing, right? Okay. So in theory, can you prioritize Canadian content through some algorithmic positioning? Absolutely. Algorithms can do anything. They can serve any interest you want, as you know, right? So when you're searching on Netflix, maybe the first thing that comes up is a Canadian title. If you're Netflix Canada, right? If that's where your location shows when you're Googling. But the problem is enforcement. Like, how are you going to force these companies who have denied being under the jurisdiction of the Broadcasting Act for now, like, at least five years explicitly? How are you going to make them do anything? I have so many questions. Okay. Who are they even? I mean, the proposals are to move digital media services. No one says digital media services, right? Mm -mm. They say website. We say app. So I know that they want. They want Facebook, Netflix, Google. Yeah, they do. Right? But those three things have very little in common besides the fact that they're huge. So how do you distinguish Netflix from like Jesse's video website or anything else? Facebook's a social network. It's a platform for news. Google's So how would you have a definition that doesn't basically suck up the Every entire internet, internet and put the entire internet under the Broadcasting Act. Yeah. Okay. That's a big problem. And that's one of the reasons why any sort of policy, it's going to be so freaking complicated. And we need to stay away from complicated because the rules that we have for the old broadcasting system are not working, require way too much enforcement and have created a system, the system that we have today, which again, lacks a lot of innovation, right? Continues putting forward the same talent. There's so much nepotism in the Canadian industry. We don't talk about that a lot, or maybe you do. Every now and then I turn our our attention to 
screen entertainment and scripted stuff. And it's like, I, I'm almost too opinionated for like for it to play out the way, like uh, have the same conversation we do about news. Cause I'm just mm-hmm. like, why do I only have the same five actors to choose from? Why do the same directors get the money? I think these are complaints you have. And mm-hmm. then my, my complaint is, as a viewer is I was like, why is this stuff so shit? Okay. And why do Canadians yeah. who go to the States and are capable of making stuff yes, at the highest level make shitty stuff here? Then that tells me that it's the system and not the talent. No, you're absolutely right. It's the institutional mechanism. So why would we want to apply that to everything else? But we don't. We can't. We literally can't. I don't think anyone who's thinking clearly about these issues is suggesting taking the old mechanism. Well, let me run this past Okay, go. go, Here's Globe and Mail's written submission. Okay, let's hear it. Algorithms should Mm -hmm. prioritize news stories that are flagged as important by Canadian news producers. Now, that seems to me to be literally and specifically a replication of the CanCon rules into a completely different playing field. So, I mean, maybe I'm getting mm-hmm. it wrong, but like in the same way that Q107 has mm-hmm, to play me mm-hmm. that song by Triumph or, or Colin James. So now I'm going to like search for news in Google or Apple News or something. Okay. And they're going to basically give me, I don't know, a Heather Malick column as my first hit or as here's what's important today. And then, I don't know, the story about Trump that I'm actually more likely to click on gets mm-hmm. downgraded. And who is the news, Canadian news producer who gets to flag that story? I very much doubt that Canada Land would be able to say, Google, push us to the top of your search results uh, mm-hmm. under this new broadcasting act. But this did strike me as very explicitly a suggestion, do for us what you did for Canadian music. Do for us what you did for Canadian No, TV. I hear that. And I, I mostly agree. But the devil's advocate side of me. OK, so algorithms, are they totally unbiased and neutral? Whose interests are they serving in any case? Like they're serving the company, right? Mm -hmm. They're serving Google and their advertising interest and all of that, right? They're designed certain ways to serve certain interests. So we can't just say like, okay, applying some sort of Canadian lens is so bad because it's not neutral or it's not what people want. We're not, we're already getting like a very filtered, pre-structured version of what's available on the web. We just are. We already are, right? So it's like, I agree with you though. Again, is that the answer? to this big problem that we're having. Restructuring wait, wait, what is algorithms? the big problem that we're having? The big problem? Yeah. So in my like, view... Like the internet's worked out pretty well yeah. for making stuff. What about investigative journalism in really small communities? How are you going to do that at scale? Like, how, how are you going to fund that at scale? I think that you fund it by asking people to pay for it. Like, I see this what the Sprawl is doing or what Tim Busquet is doing in Halifax, and they basically, like, I don't want to bore people who've listened to me talk about this again and again and again, but I basically think that we need to, like, lose our media empire ambitions and practice journalism on the level of, like, a barbershop. Go to your neighbors and say, I want you to give me five bucks a month to do journalism in this community that doesn't have any and hope that like one in a hundred says yes. And I've seen instances of that working. It's the at scale part. And why do we need that part? Maybe we need to reimagine what it is. Maybe it is just like a local craft that you that you do for your neighborhood. Or if is it, is journalism uh, a public good? Absolutely. Necessity for democracy, definitely journalism, right? Absolutely. So we're going to leave it to people to do for how much? Is this a race to the bottom where we're going to pay some person five dollars to go conduct like a months long like an investigation? How's that going to work? Honestly, like I'm yeah. looking at all of the different models yeah. out there: philanthropic journalism this way, uh-huh. government supported, and the ones that I see having the most promise. Mm-hmm. Are these micro models? I know, and I hear I mean, that. Yeah, I there's hear a problem. That. In there's a problem there too. Yeah, there's a problem in journalism. I, I'm not going to dispute yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. You know, yeah. anyhow, the whole government intervention in journalism I issue know. and conflicts of interest and all these things. If somebody actually could convince me that this would work, I might come around and be like, you know what? It's imperfect, but it works. I mean, it's the same thing in the larger media sphere. If we're going to collect money 
if we're going to take this new money from whatever new sources, for example, one of the things that's on the table is collecting revenue from ISPs, right? From the internet providers. Yes. Taking a portion of that. And this has been flooded for years. For years. And the Supreme Court was like, no, this is not a thing because, you know, under the Telecom Act, like ISPs are not broadcasters. This isn't going to fly. But now that the Telecom Act and the Broadcasting Act are both under review, potentially that can change, right? That interpretation. But anyways, if we're going to collect new money, we have to think about new ways of distributing it. So why in this media bailout is stuff only going to print media, right? Mm -hmm. Why can't podcasts fall under the purview of that fund? But it's the same thing goes for Canadian scripted media and, and the entertainment world too. Why are we continuing to give money to institutions when those institutions have failed us and have also created a system that is so insular that is like white and middle-aged male? We have to do something different or we're going to end up in the exact same place. So your position, as I understand it, is things are deeply flawed in the existing system, but that is not a reason for us to not regulate Internet stuff. Yeah. It's just we should have regulated better. Yeah, I would say. I would say that that's, that's my view. I would say you have to tread very lightly and you have to think about all of the different potential negative stuff that might come about from regulating something a certain way. But I don't think in principle there's something wrong with the idea that we should regulate. I'm very curious to know why you think it'll go any better this time, but maybe, maybe we can return to that because okay. I think we still okay. don't have all the facts later. Sure, let's get the facts. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I want to know what changed because when we first saw Melanie Jolie take the job as heritage minister, mm -hmm. the early sounds from the Trudeau government were they weren't going to touch this stuff, that they were kind of hands off. They were going to look at everything in a digital domain. But when she went to Netflix, she came back and said, hey, we don't need to regulate these guys. They're going to voluntarily pump hundreds of millions of dollars in the Canadian con Like, what are we trying to fix here? This has been a boon to the Canadian production world, which it actually has been. And they're, they're, they're shooting a lot of stuff here. The positions seem to be we're not going to fuck with this. The Netflix tax mm -hmm. became like a dirty word in yes, Ottawa. It did. Yep. I also think it had to do with the Trudeau government kind of like wanting to kind of hold hands with tech and say, we're very tech. We're not going to mm -hmm. come here and regulate and tax tech. We're here. We're very digital forward. And then the new heritage minister comes in and all of a sudden it's just like all this tough talk. They've been getting a free ride and something, you know, it seems like everything is on the table and they're, they're now taking a very aggressive attitude towards these companies. And, you know, I, I can sort of understand that there's like something has changed in the, in the public attitude towards these companies. I think that's what largely it's been. That's it? Honestly, I think so. Because even back in the day, remember with Stephen Harper, this Netflix literally became an election issue. Yeah. We will not tax your Netflix. There will be no Netflix tax, right? And that was, again, that's populism. We constantly see that here in Canada in our politics. I mean, that happens everywhere. But like, that's very much what it is, right? Our public attitude and our awareness of these large companies, these multinationals and what they're doing has shifted a little bit. We know a little bit more. It's more in the public consciousness. So potentially there's some more political will because of that. That's all I could see. One thing that I thought from the start was like mm -hmm. they would have to be idiots to take on the job of trying to regulate the Internet. I mean, you, you said it earlier, like when CRTC said, Netflix, we want we your want data. Your and Netflix like, we're Netflix. We don't give data to anybody. Yeah. You think that we're going to give it to the Canadian regulatory body? Fuck off. Like you yeah. want to just maybe you just not have Netflix. and You could explain that to the Canadian people. Mm -hmm. So why do we think that any of these companies, because they're asking for data from Google, yep. Globe and Mail is asking Google for data? Yep. Get the fuck out of here. Like it's, it's not, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, so what, what is going to okay, happen? Okay. So I honestly think the only way there could be oversight of these ginormous transnational companies is if it's some sort of organized international oversight, some sort of coordinated effort. So we 
we go with the EU and we follow with them and we create some sort of, I don't know, large overseeing body. Are you just dreaming this up or is this out there? Are there no, other countries there. that are, are doing this? Yeah. I mean, they're way more advanced in Europe than we are in terms of our thinking about this. And in Canada, if we want to follow suit, maybe we do something coordinated. Honestly, how else are you going to regulate a multinational, transnational firm other than through international coordination? I don't see another way. I don't know. China managed. Well, that's true, but we can't do that. But I don't think that we're, I mean, I don't think that's what we're doing. It's not completely a different thing, you okay. know? Mm. Government basically trying to control search results. China would say we're doing this for our cultural sovereignty. We're doing this for the sake of, uh, you know, we're hearing the same noises here, cleaning up the information from fake news and, and uh, malicious Again, actors, foreign bad information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Like, what, is it that different? It is. Like, you, you can't totally straw man it because the other side, right? Again, those searches, those algorithms, they're not unbiased. They've been structured by human beings that have put in certain interests, right, so that certain boxes get checked. No, it's a good point. And Google's done a good job of convincing us that, that this it's... is just an objective reflection exactly. of, of, of the information that we want. Uh-huh. They, they have very powerful self-interest For to play. Sure. And, you know. and then in the news system, right, like the reason why all that shit's failing, because advertising revenues, I mean, from the TV side, TV news, right, people are still watching conventional television, surprisingly. They are. They're still watching it. There's been a decline. But the thing is, What's been the biggest factor that's caused a lot of strife in the Canadian news media industries? Obviously, advertising revenues have gone down because they've shifted. There's so many ways to reach viewers now, right, if you're an advertiser, by micro-targeting online, right? You, you go on Facebook. My God, you can reach people in such a nuanced way, right? You can target them. It's going to be like a person in Toronto who loves, I don't know, some random show and is this in this age, like you can go to them directly, right? So why would you spend money and do that, spend more money to pay to do that through television? So that advertising is going down, right? That's gone down significantly. Okay. So how do you support the news media? That's the whole thing. It's it's the advertising model that's really, I think, sped up the decline of that system. You're actually an incredibly optimistic, idealistic person because, you know, you seem to have a very keen awareness of just how terribly things have wound up with the prior system. Mm -hmm. All of its failures and its failures of representation, failures of quality. Mm -hmm. And yet you somehow believe that we can get it right when we start regulating not a handful of, you know, Mm -hmm. networks and cable stations, but the entirety of the world through the internet, of media. Like, I, I'm not claiming we should go there. I, I, I don't even think I'm a fan of playing around with the algorithms and, and prioritizing certain things in search. No, That's I understand. Not where that, I go. That, yeah. You think there is a yeah. special sauce that will work. There is a, a way to get it right. There's a combination of... I think yeah. that we should still provide funding. And I'm talking about from the Canadian entertainment production landscape, Canadian content creation, right? Without creating new relationships between the companies that are here and export, right, without creating a pipeline, helping producers create that pipeline and those relationships. We've already done that. I don't know if you know. There's some sort of – there's export funds and money going into that. I'm sure there's a hundred different things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But without actually going in like fully into that, how are we going to fund Canadian content? So Canadian cultural content, like Canadian scripted stuff. Who's going to make it if there's no funding here? Do people watch really, really Canadian-focused content? And I know people say, what is that? But a particular Canadian story. And I've seen it time and time again, right? People have to water down their idea because it's not going to sell globally. 
I don't know if that's true. It's not true. Like, what what do we all watch? Like, a mm. Danish crime sure. serial. Sure, What was our biggest success? And Thunder Bay. Exactly. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Americans. Totally. Was, you know. And I agree with that. I agree with that. But the problem is, who's going to fund it? Who's going to do the initial funding agreements here? I How mean, are you going to get that? Like, our listeners funded that one, you know? Uh, like Okay, we, but are we talking $10 million an episode? No, no. no but like, so but, dream but, smaller is what you're saying? I'm saying, like, if you start from the position, we must have high-budget scripted drama TV, and, and the format must be hour-long dramas, and the production values have mm-hmm. to be akin. Like, maybe you you say, hey, we're better at sketch comedy. We can do that. And and we, we're good at So find a niche. You're saying, like, stick to a niche that well, works. Well, if you're comparing yourself against, uh-huh. like, a unique system like America's where they're like, they can do something like Game of Thrones. You can like, do anything. Most people can't do Game of Thrones. Don't try to do You're not going mm-hmm. to beat them at Game of Thrones, you know? Okay, say Girls. Take girls as an example. Yeah, right? that's a show, a show that you could probably make here. Yeah, that's exactly right. But we never made it. No. Right? Because of the... They, never, they would never dare. They would never dare. Because it's a bureaucratized system mm-hmm. that has like connections to government. Mm-hmm. Everyone would be afraid of, of... Exactly. Yeah. But how do you make girls happen here without any money? Probably by just doing it with your friends, you know, like a, like a smart... Okay, but we've done that with web series. And where does that go? The Americans are paying attention to American stuff. They pay attention to their web series, right? Their studio system there. There have been creators that have been plucked by existing studios, right? We know that. And they've been like, they've succeeded in taking their careers further because they made some shit for free, a calling card thing. Yeah. And they move on. But here in Canada, nobody's listening. Honestly, they might have audiences. And this has happened too, okay? Millions of viewers on a web series, a scripted web series. And where does it go? So the producers have like finagled certain deals, international uh, distribution deals, but those are very, very small because usually the stuff that you make is obviously shorter form because you don't have the money to make longer form. But who's purchasing short form scripted content? Not very many places. I mean, Lily Singh was making money. Sure. But that's a completely different model. I'm talking about scripted team-based production, right? You just keep adding words to it to make it fit into the theory. But it is true. It was scripted and and she worked with the team. It just wasn't like... A serialized story. But it didn't start that way. No, no. I don't know. Things just, like, culture just kind of grows. Amelia, you are, like, I asked you here because you're so much smarter and more knowledgeable than me. And here I am trying to win an argument against somebody who who is just donating their time to explain things. What is wrong with me? This is not the the uh, the purpose of the exercise. You've been very helpful in helping me understand all these things better than I have before. I think I have a grasp on what they're trying to accomplish, but I can't help myself but to submit to you a counter proposal. Okay, go for it. Nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. What happens if we just do nothing? Okay, if we do nothing, contributions to the Canadian cable system obviously are going to decline. Fewer people are going to be are watching cable. So their revenues are dwindling, which means they're putting in less money to fund Canadian content. The whole thing might even just die in, yeah, the whole in, thing in might five die. or ten years time okay. or sooner. So then already right now, there's fewer commissions happening. If you call up the broadcasters, mm-hmm. which again, we're pitching shows with my company. And the stuff we keep hearing is like, let's say they have five, six channels. They're commissioning for one or two of them. You know what I mean? And in very, very specific areas. And I bet you can guess what areas those are. HGTV type content, right? Like yeah. the Yeah, sure. I mean, this is where stuff. the CanCon system is this taking is where, us is to yep, yep, yep. bad Canadian versions of American reality TV. Yeah, unfortunately it has. So anyway, so that keeps going on. Until it doesn't. Like, Until it, it doesn't. Let's, let's be totally pessimistic here. Like it dies. It, it, it the whole di- thing just okay. dies. Right. So then what's the pipeline for development of Canadian talent? Is everybody just going to go to the States? Well, we have more options than ever to, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about culture. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. There are more ways than ever to make music. 
make sure. films, mm-hmm. make cartoons, make podcasts, tell stories, be heard, be seen. There are viable business models that are emerging, mm-hmm. like podcasting, yeah. that is completely unregulated and outside of, for now, ask me again in a year, but for now, outside of any kind of big macro industry context. Sure, like people sure. are finding ways to like actually make a living off these things. Canadians would be doing that as they are now, the same as anywhere else in the world. People would be trying to get their YouTube followers up. Which is then, not working either. Like that model is broken too, right? YouTube? Come on, it's imploding on itself right now. I mean, it's worked out for some people. but it's, For some it's, people, yeah. yeah. But now it's harder than ever. It's saturation, all that stuff. I think that, that what would happen would be people would be able to make stuff. Canadians would consume what kind of it. Stuff? What kind of stuff would they be making? Well, that's just it. It's like, okay, I, I, I used to have a tech show where I would talk about this with a guy named Jacob Glick, who used uh-huh. to be the policy guy for Google. And he would go before mm-hmm. the government every year or so, and they would say, shouldn't Google be paying into the system to make CanCon? And he would say... Ladies and gentlemen, uh, or whatever you would say, we provide every day more Canadian-made video than the entire broadcasting system does in a year. Canadians consume Canadian-made video uh-huh. at a rate that is... But it's a freaking race to the bottom. Like, it, they're not making the a living. Says, they're not making a living at all. Well, there's two factors. One is the industry says, but the content is shitty. They're watching a guy get hit by a ball in the sure. nuts. Yeah. Or they're watching somebody's little cat sing. And, mm-hmm. that, and, and that kind of line about YouTube, it's just cute cats, kind of like, there's so much great stuff to watch. I'd rather watch the best of Canadian-made YouTube than the best of Canadian-made cable. So the quality argument is dubious. Of course, and some people say it's subjective, whatever. Yeah, the yeah. economic model is like, yeah, that's imperfect. I mean, it's never been perfect. It's never been easy to make a buck in showbiz. No, it, it hasn't, but there's been more stability in what you could expect to make, right? Like the amount of money you can expect to make from content these days has gone down so low. It is a race to the bottom. Budgets are smaller. Schedules are tighter. And again, what does that encourage? That encourages people to be like, oh, shit, we have a show to make on this really small timeline. Let me call my buddy Jack, okay? Jack, a white dude who I know. I've worked with him before. And that continues and perpetuates that insular system. So the same people that have been working in the past are going to be working again in the future. And it's going to continue on forever and ever. It's true. No, it's right. Because you're still thinking of it in terms of as the current system is under-resourced and Mm under-resourced, it's Mm -hmm. only going to get worse in who it benefits. But once that system is dead, what it's replaced with out of the ashes, the home, like user-generated content, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. is the most egalitarian, diverse, if you start to include makeup tutorial videos and things that people are putting on TikTok and Instagram videos. If you start to actually include the content that people are just making organically, some of them are building really viable businesses on that. Totally. That solves the diversity problem and the representation problem. Are you then arguing against the existence of certain crafts that have been around for like a bajillion years? Like, should we just say, fuck the Oscars? And like, you know, that craft and that knowledge and talent and all of that stuff. Should we just forget about that? I just could never imagine myself as, as having a say in that beyond just what I choose to make or what I choose to consume. I kind of feel like people are going to make yeah. what they're going to make. And we're now we're now just making new kinds of stuff, sure. you know? No, no, no. And I agree. And I hear you. And I think what's going to happen is high end, higher end, high production value, whatever, more traditional content, that's for a niche audience. And that's for a very particular kind of audience, Right. That's the content Netflix thrives on. That's what they're looking to buy. If we're not, we're not making that content, then we lose that, right? We just lose that if nobody's funding it. Because how are we going to even get a leg up in order to be able to create that content in the first place? Like, I'm all for it. My company, we're not trying to rely on the grant system, right? We've created a pilot. We shot it on our own, totally self-funded for something. Mm-hmm. We just shot a feature film, again, totally on our own. That's the thing. But now breaking in, that's the challenge, Right. 
how am I going to make these connections? By making great stuff? That's true. But who's going to distribute it if I don't have a number or a, a pipeline to some of these international distributors? Like, we're just going to get ignored, swallowed up, yada, yada. So we, we have to be a bit more strategic. Yeah, I think we have to be a bit, much, okay. bit more strategic about the way we realign the system. I think, I mean, to summarize, like, like, like mm. what is the worst case scenario is essentially the end of professionalized screen production in Canada. I think there would be a big decline to be a problem. We'd see more brain drain because people want to make that stuff and they still enjoy it, but they wouldn't be able to make it here. Maybe I'm the idealist because I kind of feel like ingenuity and creativity is such that if we're watching and consuming the best stuff in the world and we are as talented as I think we are in this country, someone's just going to have a great idea and make something fantastic. And in the same way that anybody could start a band... Anybody is sort of one song away from being a huge star. I mean, you know, 999 out of 1,000 or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, don't. But there is some form of a meritocracy to that world because the, the cost of making something is so low mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, yeah, there is a sense in which, like, it is a model that kind of rewards the most innovative, interesting, great Does thing. Does it? Music is a pretty good example of things kind of working. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you, you drive the, the cost okay. of production down so low and then the premium goes on quality. But as who opposed gets, to who you know. okay, the thing is here's You don't the, get to be on the Arcade Fire's new album because right. you like know Wynn Butler or know the producer. But, okay, big issue too, class, social class. Does that just cease to exist because of the web? I'm still who I am, right? Let's say you're a creator. You weren't born into a well-off family that's really, really well-connected. You're living on your own. You got to pay your rent. Who is more likely to succeed and create the cool, innovative shit that you're talking about? It's people who have their parents' support, people who are probably living in their parents' house, right, that are subsidized, rather than, like, people who have to work for a living. I mean, the entire history of innovation in hip-hop might contradict that argument. Okay, but I'm talking about scripted screen content. Yeah, I'm just saying that that's getting as cheap as making music. But I okay, I can't can't help myself. Scripted, okay. This is all my fault. Let's return this back to reality. Okay, let's do it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because, like, you know... They're not going to do exactly what you and, and and the smartest minds and the people who care the most about this and all surrounding political issues and aesthetic and cultural issues. It's going to be some lesser version thereof. Is this the birth of a regime that's going to like lord over everything we consume for decades and decades to come? And, and, and the same way that you know, I know you people in the production world, yeah. you complain about this system Every single time you get together, you hate the system that you rely on. But right now, it's our only lifeline, honestly. Right. So in 10 years or 30 years' time, are we going to hear people like, oh, the fucking CanCon algorithm's got me again. Ah, I'm going to have to fill out a proposal that's that's, going to satisfy the new, whatever new whims the uh, bureaucrats have for what's going to get the funding for, like, is is, is that what we're starting? No, no, no. Listen, I think we should be much more hands-off. I don't think we should tell even the broadcasters what kind of Canadian content they should be creating. I don't think we should say, like... It needs to be 10% this and 40% that. And like there have been so many Canadian channels that have changed what they're doing over the last while and have been totally obviously criticized because they've tried to adapt to the market within this framework. Like history, for example, what used to be the history channel versus to what they're producing today, like night and day, right? Oh, yeah. Like the book, book TV at the end was just playing reruns of the Waltons or something. Exactly. So anyways, I don't think we should be as prescriptive in that sense. I don't think we should be telling people what they're making. But should we continue to fund Canadian content? Yeah. Should we no, fund? I didn't ask you what we should do. What's okay. going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, shit. It's honestly, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I think it's going to be probably some sort of lame response. Like I think it's going to be another long report and then it's going to be 
the election Mm -hmm. and then who knows what's going to happen when power changes, if it changes. Like, it's anyone's game at this point. It's anyone's guess, I should say, at this point. And the idea that you can get the big multinationals, the transnationals, to kind of play your game, I think that's a dream. That's like a non-starter. Especially right now with the current framework that we have. The CRTC can't even, like, enact any monetary punishment. There's, like, nothing in their toolbox in order to enforce any of those rules. So regardless of what we do, I think it's going to be kind of like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's. We're going to fuck it up. Yeah. It's not that we're going to fuck it up. I think it's genuinely probably going to be more status quo. And unless we change the way we dole out the funding, that infrastructure for that, unless our funding system moves away from giving money to institutions versus people, I think we're going to be the exact same system that we saw before. Nothing's going to change. Dr. Emilia Zboralska, thank you. You're welcome. Hey, that is your Canada Land podcast. If you liked it, tell a friend about it, review it, do something, please. Why don't you? Email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is canadalandshow.com, where you will find every week an episode of Oppo, our politics show. I wonder what they'll be talking about this week. Could be anything. This episode is produced by Jordan Cornish and Kasia Mihailovic. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, if you like Commons, if you like Oppo, if you like our news stories, if you like Thunder Bay, if you like the shows that we haven't even told you about yet, if you value Canada Land in your world, we make this stuff because people support us at patreon.com slash Canada Land. I want very much for you to be one of those people. Once again, patreon.com slash Canada Land. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.